sports fans rejoice. You're listening to my team, my voice with MTMV Sports. Yo, what's up? This is Prophet Josiah. Make sure you listen to my album, God Made Me Do It, on all streaming platforms. Right now, you are listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Hello and welcome to the Know Your Personnel podcast. We are on all major podcast apps. You can also find us on MTMV Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to both stations that you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a five-star rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. All right, welcome back to the KYP Podcast. I'm excited for our next guest. Um, Tim Shelton has... Coached 13 years in Division I college basketball at San Diego State, his alma mater, and now at Fresno State uh, in his hometown. Um, he has been nominated uh, or, was, or was selected by the Under Armour 30 for 30 NABC Best Coaches Under 30. Um, he has been in Division I athletics now this entire time, coached a lot of pros, worked with a lot of really good coaches, come from a very athletic family. You have family members who have played Division I, NBA, uh, NFL. Uh, talk about how you got into sports and how you got into basketball growing up in Bakersfield. You know, um, I uh, originally got involved with uh, basketball because of my older, my, my only full brother, really, Titus Shelton, mm-hmm. um, who's a few years older than me. Um, and then my mom, you know, uh, we were raised by my mom up in Sacramento for the most part. Um, and then around seventh grade, we ended up going back to Bakersfield and kind of being closer to our father and stuff like that. But, um, started really in the third grade, third, fourth grade, um, started playing basketball because it was the most fun game to me. You know, it's kind of simple as that. I didn't quite fully understand kind of the history of, of what my dad did and, you know, winning an NBA championship and, having the longest in the NBA and um, being one of the original enforcers and, and all that stuff. So that, that stuff was kind of fun to hear about later on in life. But when I was young, it was just about enjoying it um, and really wanted to do what my older brother Titus was doing because, you know, he was way bigger than me at the time and, and, and he was really good. He, he could do anything he wanted on the, on the floor and it made it look a lot of fun. So. And for those who may not realize, uh, his dad that he's talking about is Lonnie Shelton, who played in the NBA, I think, for nine years and won an NBA championship and was, uh, during, in, in his time, a very, very good player. Um, so you played, you started your high school career at Bakersfield High School, correct? Yes. yes. Talk about how that, how that all came, came to pass and what you learned playing at Bakersfield. So, yeah, you know, I, I talked about being in Sacramento a little bit and we moved to Bakersfield um, around the time my brother was uh, starting his freshman year. And, you know, that's where we actually met Coach Hudson, who's the head coach now um, at Fresno State. Um, and Coach Hudson recalls, you know, stories about being coached by our father um, back in camp when he was younger, too. So, um, you know, he already knew who the family was. He, you know, his father is a, is a legendary coach out in the valley out here. Um, you know, so he's been around basketball all his life, but the relationship just kind of naturally happened. And, um, 
you know, he ended up coaching my brother first. So I got to see those guys compete and win a lot of games. And then um, when I came along, you know, it, it just, I already knew him very comfortable with him and uh, you know, had a really good freshman year. He put the ball in my hands and then actually was trying to turn me into a point guard. So who doesn't want to do that? You know, coming as a freshman and you get to, you get to have the ball and make decisions and, and get to hit the ground running in terms of playing, playing with some freedom. So, um, you know, that was the beginning of my relationship with, with Coach Hudson, you know, when I uh, got to Bakersfield High School and, you know, tried to figure things out as a, as a kid who was about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, um, all right hand, trying to get downhill, so. And Coach Hudson made the uh, he made the rare. It doesn't happen often where you see a guy go from high school to Division One and then eventually Division One head coach. But back when you played for him, what were some things that you learned from him as a player, as a young man, that you still model today? You know, back then, you know, he's he's a different person back then. It was before he had he had LASIK surgery. He couldn't see as well, so he would always <laughs> point and yell and point and get guys subbed out. But um, you know, he's continued to have a motor, you know, on the floor in practice. You know, he's, he's very intense. He's very detailed. Um, and he's got a motor for it, you know, for, for doing things right and for, for motivating guys and, and, and seeing growth. You know, he's very passionate. He's always spent time in the film room. He's always believed in that since high school and, and, and very much so now. Um, and I, I can vividly remember having my first real film sessions as a freshman, just sitting, sitting down in that locker room and, and uh, really learning, learning the game of basketball, you know, in a different way. You know, you, just, you throw the balls out and you play. But once you get to the point where you're learning and you're seeing yourself, a lot more growth happens when you see yourself. So I really remember him being about that, um, you know, even at that time. And then just remember him having a motor for continuing to teach and wanting to be in the gym and wanting to spend time with the guys. And um, it made him really likable. And he was intense at that time. You know, he was a lot younger and he was learning a lot. But he knew that playing hard and playing with intensity and having a certain edge about you was something that he wanted and, and, and that belonged in his culture. And, and he, you know, we won like I think 95% of our games or something like that. So, um, you know, he's always been that person. Um, you didn't finish at Bakersfield. Talk about how you end up transferring and where you went after that. You know, we had a guy by the name of Robert Swift. Mm-hmm. Uh, my freshman year, I got to play with the McDonald's All-American, a uh, uh, you know, a first round draft pick, um, at a high school back when you could still do that. And after that year, um, you know, coach Hudson decided to, to make, make the jump, you know, and try and try and get into the college ranks and got an opportunity at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And, you know, it was one of those emotional deals cause you're young, but when, you know, the older you get, you're like, man, that was a good, good timing, a good opportunity for him. And obviously it led him up to this point. So it was the right decision. Um, career-wise. But once he left, you know, the relationships that, you know, we had developed and the guys that we had started to play with um, in the AAU circuit and and stuff like that, uh, most of them were in Fresno, you know, and and one of them being Quincy Pondexter, another being the Lopez twins, a guy named Trayvon Willis, a guy named Derek Jasper, who was really athletic and, and talented, a big point guard. So, you know, having that experience with those guys over the summers, was something that, you know, inspired my brother and I. And, um, you know, the more information my mother got about it, she felt comfortable with it and, you know, made the move out to Fresno and ended up at San Joaquin Memorial um, for for really just a semester um, because of certain things that CIF does um, and they're uncomfortable with. You know, they made a decision not to let us play 
Um, so we ended up being in Clovis West District and ended up at Clovis West at the, the second half of that semester. So we ultimately ended up playing at Clovis West. And uh, talk about the coaches that you learned from at Clovis West and what it was like in the new transition to a new school, a new city, new friends. How did all that play out? You know, I was really lucky. I feel like I had, you know, really good coaches, guys who understood the game, guys who were patient, but also had an edge about them. You know, I, I got to learn under Coach Hooker at San Joaquin Memorial, um, and he was great with development and great with young men and a proven score <clears throat> in college, you mm-hmm. know, at Fresno State. Um, and then, you know, I never got to play a game for him, but but he taught me a lot, and he was somebody who helped me develop as a, as a, as a big perimeter player. Um, and then going to Clovis West, I was just fortunate that Tom Orlich, who just a history of winning, you know, history of winning and really understood the, the game fundamentally, um, understood culture. You know, I stepped right in and, you know, he welcomed me with open arms and he was great. You know, we spent a lot more time off the floor than I think most people realize. And, you know, I'm, he's still one of my favorites to the day. I, I talked to him yesterday. <laughs> so, um, you know, Tom... I thought he was big for me even after I actually ended up getting hurt, um, but just continued to help me grow as a young man. You know, he, he did a lot of things that that translated to to just becoming a young adult, and I think he helped me prepare for college even after I couldn't play for him. You've talked about uh, the, the coaches that you've worked with. You've all been able to build a relationship with you. What are some things that those coaches did that, you know, helped with relationship, which made you a better player and made you perform better on the floor? They recognized that, you know, that obviously I had some talent enough to help them win, you know, gave me an opportunity to play with some freedom. Um, but then they held me accountable for that freedom. So, you know, in the film sessions and, and in, the, in, a, in a team setting, an individual setting, you know, I thought the communication was respectful. I thought they treated me with respect you know, for the role that they allowed me to have and the responsibility that they gave me. Um, and it's hard not to to reciprocate that, you know, when you're, especially when you're a young man, guys, guys know, and kids know what's real. You know, they, they know if you're kind of being fake with them for the most part, and they know um, what's right and what's wrong. You know, a lot of people want to play with freedom. A lot of people want to be able to take most of the shots or say that they're the guy. Um, and I had an opportunity to really do that um, at Clovis West and you know we won a lot of games and, and our team was was great it's because the culture was great that you know that maybe had five percent to do with me because I was playing hard and everybody else was playing hard it wasn't like I had to set the tone on playing hard but I wasn't gonna you know try not to win a, a sprint or try not to be the first on the floor or not take charges everybody did it so mm-hmm. I think that freedom the responsibility and the accountability piece was big um, for my coaches in high school you Sat out your senior year uh, with the torn ACL, uh, but you still were recruited and ended up playing at uh, San Diego State. Can you talk about how Coach Fisher, I believe Coach Fisher was the one who recruited you, or he was the head coach at the time, how right. Coach Fisher recruited you and how you ended up at San Diego State? You know, um, yeah, that, I tore my ACL about a couple of weeks after our state championship game my junior year. And, you know, that, that was really disheartening. I was, I had never been injured before. I think I had a little tendonitis. And so, you know, when that happened, I was wondering, you know, what's this process like? How are things going to go? What does this mean for recruitment? And uh, this is this is around the time Coach Hudson made the transition to to San Diego State. You know, mm-hmm. he did a nice job at Cal Poly. He had cr- recruited my older brother Titus there and a guy named Charles Anderson from Bakersfield there. Um, 
put together a really good recruiting class for them and began to develop those relationships that can allow you to, you know, get an opportunity. And, um, you know, when he got to San Diego State, I was one of the guys that, you know, he believed I could be good enough to help those guys win. And, um, you know, the relationship with him and I was already strong. Um, when he came back in, you know, it was a, it was a comfortable recruitment for me because I knew him. And, and then when things shifted to Coach Fish and I started to really learn more about who he was and his temperament, um, you know, his ability to mentor, you know, the success he's had in the past, um, and also his vision, vision for the future. You know, at that time, San Diego State wasn't what it is today, mm-hmm. you know, but he believed it could be that. And, and he spoke very clearly about that, you know, with, with a certain level of pace and poise and confidence that you believed anything that he was going to say um, because he was going to work towards it. And also just because he's, he's got a level of genuineness about him that not many people have, you know, in this, in this business. And, and you can feel that even as a young man, you can feel how genuine um, Coach Fisher is and, and was. So Coach Fisher, um, for those who might not have put it together, he was the head coach of the Fab Five with Chris Weber and Jalen Rose, uh, lifelong coach. By the time, by the time he had you, I mean, it was working with you. He had been coaching probably over thirty years in in Division One, very well thought of. Um, what did you What did you learn from him uh, on and off the floor that you still use today? Man, I, I learned from him that. You, you can never stop and will never stop learning the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was the last person to say, I've been in this business for X amount of years, mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. You know, he never used that as a, as a talking point, as a teaching point, as, as something that, you know, might be considered debatable in, in meetings and settings and practice. Um, he continued to stay open-minded and wanted to learn um, because he understood each player was different. Each, each staff is different every year, even though they may, may be together the year before, two years before. Um, and then he let his players play. You know, it's, it's one of those things that he didn't really talk about much. He really appreciated and respected playing hard. Um, he was very open to all types of personality types. And, um, you know, he just, it seemed like he had a really good feel for what to focus on. Um, not to have rabbit ears, which is like not to listen to every single thing someone says and, and, and take it, you know, to heart in terms of young men who are trying to figure themselves out in college and as well as deal with their frustrations at times with what their role might be or, or you know, who they think they want to be. And, you know, he always had a really good temperament about him. He had a really good level of poise about him. You know, he never seemed rattled. He always seemed like he knew what to say, especially in the biggest moments. And, he always could give you a certain level of comfort and confidence that you can go out and beat anybody or a certain level of comfort and confidence that, Hey, this is what we're doing in practice today. I need you to get this. You guys got this. He let the leaders lead. He let the followers follow. Um, and he checked it when he needed to, you know, and, and he just, it was like, it was like a dance, man. And the footwork just, it looked beautiful. And, and he understood it. And it's like a song he heard before he knew all the lyrics. He just, you know, that experience that he had, um, and just in general, the person that he is, um, you know, you really grew to appreciate it even more. It kind of confirmed some of the feelings that you had during the recruitment process um, because he backed it up with action and spending time and, and uh, never get too high or too low. And then personally for me, you know, obviously after that, 
to provide an opportunity for me, you know, to have a job and to have an opportunity in, in the basketball business is kind of speaks volumes as to who he believed I could be when we first started talking. So how does a guy like Steve Fisher, how does he build relationships with his players? There's obviously an age gap. Uh, we're bonded together by our love for basketball and our passion for the game. And that's a huge way to get in the door. But then after that, you know, you got to have a little bit more substance, at least in my opinion. What did he do to help build relationships with you and the other different personalities on the team? He was big on just coming into his office. You know, he might hand you a book. He might hand you the book and tell you exactly what chapters to read. Mm. He was big on John Wooden. Um, So he might give you an individual quote to focus on or something that he thought might help you that week. Um, You know, he would, he would leave a note card in your locker and say, Hey, tell me the three things that you think you need to work on to be an, to be an efficient player this year. And then meet me in my office in two days or in the next three days. And I'll have my card and I'll, and I'll write down my three things and tell you what I believe those three things are. And let's talk about it. Um, You know, he would always have something like that where, you weren't just, I'm coming to practice, I'm coming to play, this is who I am. He was making you think, you know, outside of strictly, I'm going to work on my game, I'm going to have the ball in my hands, this is my identity. He was focused on the whole picture. He was focused on on, on helping young men grow up. And I think that's a huge part of our job. I think that's a huge part of who we are. You know, no matter what you, what you may think or what other people say, um, the reality is you spend almost every day with, with, with these young men and they're going to be influenced by who you are, what you say, and how you go about your life. And he went about his life right, you know, and he tried to share certain things that he believed in, you know, weekly, daily, monthly, um, to the point where some of the things that he would say, quotes that he would say, you would know, you know, like, like it was, <laughs> like it was ingrained in your memory. You weren't going to forget it. Um, so, you know, I think he did a nice job taking the time to continue to do that and continue to challenge you know young men to think outside the box to think beyond basketball to think about their thought process to think about what their what their goals mean you know not just what they are but what they mean and why they mean that um so you know he just he had a nice routine of it and he tried to change it up as well and continue to learn how to reach young men so I think he really made an effort um to to prepare you know for that to prepare to to engage and to prepare to get to know um, young people, you know, he just, he believed in that. So he prepared for it. Um, you talked about, you played with in, in high school, you played with a couple pros. Um, you played with many D one guys. You played for a state championship at Clovis West. You played for a national, uh, rank, nationally ranked team at Clovis West. What was it like with that transition on the floor, uh, from a high school player to a division one college player at San Diego state? Um, the, the transition part was pretty easy for me. Um, you know, the thing that the only thing I needed to get used to was the game speed. Um, but I, I was very fortunate again, and I was lucky that the programs I played for, it was, it was all about playing hard, mm-hmm. you know, and I had a, a level of purity about me about playing hard. There was no ego about playing hard. It was like, what do you need to do coach? Yes, sir. I'm going to go do it. Um, I'm going to run through a wall for you. And as a guy who came in, you know, I was 17 when I got to campus um, and our first workouts, it was like, you know, I had guys telling me, why are you go so hard? What are you, why are you going so hard? And I was like, that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I might not be the most skilled guy right now, but you know, I got a good body on me and, and I'm anxious to play because I had 
sit out this last year. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. Um, you know, that, that culture, the cultures that I was a part of at Bakersfield High and Clovis West, it really, it really took a lot of nonsense out of the way I reacted to being coached hard. Mm-hmm. So you could, you could, you could push me, you could coach me hard. You could challenge me as a young guy, you know, more than you could challenge a couple older guys. And my response would be something that you would love to make a teaching point out of. And, you know, people didn't always like that early on because coach would be like, you got it. You got to try and do it like Tim. I mean, Tim just going to go hard and get stuff done. And, you know, I appreciate it because I did feel like I felt that way, but I also didn't understand. This is how pure I felt like I was. I didn't understand why other people didn't play as hard all the time. Like I did, you know, I, I was used to winning at, at Bakersfield high. I was used to winning at Clovis West and that's all everyone did. So it's like, why aren't these guys playing hard when that's one of the main recipes for success, no matter how talented you are, you play hard and play together. Usually something good happens. So you know, that's what gave me an opportunity on the floor. And, and gave, I started as a freshman um, and it just made sense. I was like, obviously the coaches I had in high school knew what they were, were doing because, you know, to be able to come in like this and have an opportunity to play like I wanted to have, but not knowing completely what to expect, um, playing hard always translated. It's, uh, it, it, it's, there's no substitute for it. You know, um, and and I, I like to tell my teams, and it's more of, more like this in high school. I, I you could speak more to the college level, but in high school, I believe the team that plays hardest usually wins. Right. And you know, um, and and that's something that I learned at Clovis West, and even learned coaching with uh, Coach Burton at Fullerton is, you know, playing hard. I mean, that you just play as hard as you can, and and like you said, you were really innocent about it. You came in, and you just thought everyone did that, and when you know they're kind of walking through or going half speed that really separated you above them and you played in over a hundred games and I was dealing with a ton of injuries. Uh, you played in over a hundred games in your four or five, five years there with your medical time off and you had a really good career. You also played with a couple of pros, uh, Kawhi Leonard and Malcolm, uh, and Malcolm were, um, NBA players. Obviously Kawhi is a big, big name right now. What are some things that you noticed about them that were different uh, not just in their skill, because they're probably, you know, as skilled, if not more so than the rest of the guys, but in the way they approached the game that was different than your average player that you knew. You know, with, I'll start with Malcolm. And there's, and there's two more guys actually that got drafted that I played with. Um, there's Jamal Franklin and Xavier Thames. Okay. Um, but I'll start with Malcolm. Um, you know, Malcolm was a San Diego kid. He's local. Um, and he went to Pepperdine first, and then he and then he transferred out and went to uh, San Diego City Junior College. And I used to see him at open run all the time. I had never, you know, most kids your age, you run into him on the circuit, you know, and play against him. And I had I had never played against Malcolm before, but when we when we when he started going in the open runs and and when you started to see him play, you know, you were like, wow, Malcolm is really just overall talented. You know, he could really run. You know, he had long arms and, and had really good timing to block shots. He was about six nine. Um, and then you, he was special passing the ball and a lot of people didn't understand, you know, why that made him so good. But when you, when you think about running offense from the elbow or up top, being able to play dribble handoffs and have a guy you can throw the ball to who can make decisions and score, um, you know, he just added an element that we, that we were looking for that we needed. Um, but he was also different, uh, from Billy White and myself, you know, who were, who were already on campus at the time. So when we heard Malcolm was coming, it was really exciting. And then he, he was he was everything and more you know when he got there he he tried to win every sprint um he was yes sir no sir 
Um, you know, he, he loved San Diego. So there was literally a passion for being home and having his family at every game. Um, and you knew, you know, Malcolm had a chance. Every game we played, he kept getting better. You know, in the big games, he, he had some of his biggest moments, um, you know, finishing games down the stretch, blocking shots or, or you know, they'd, they'd roll it into him and, and, and let him go score. I mean, in the NCAA tournament, we won our first two ever NCAA tournament games. You know, he was the one getting the ball down the stretch you know, mm -hmm. for post touches and, and making decisions and getting going and getting us going, even when he didn't have a great game at times. And it was like, he, he had that much trust. So, you know, Malcolm played the right way. He worked really hard. Um, he did not get drafted, but, you know, guys like that who you know what they're about behind the scenes, you expected him to have a few stints or an opportunity to play in the league. And that's what ultimately, you know, allowed him to get in there, you know, and, and have and have some opportunities with different teams. So you weren't, you weren't, surprised when that happened um and unfortunately he didn't stick but he's making good money overseas um and, and was still playing you know so Kawhi, you know Kawhi changed the culture of working out spending time in the gym you know he as a freshman over the summer you know you always saw him up he was always up it seemed like he was up before everybody else in the mornings you know and you thought okay he's a freshman so Everybody gets here and they're excited to be in the gym, right? And then as soon as class hits and the, and the, and the regular year gets started, you got to make sure you're, you're going to bed. You got to make sure your homework is done. You have to make sure you're on time for the weight room. And, and that energy, you know, and that excitement is like, okay, can I continue this? Mm -hmm. But Kawhi has a certain level of discipline to his life that he's always had in terms of basketball. And I mean, in terms of his life in general, you know, you don't get the most out of your, out of your ability the way he has and, and see as much growth as he has, you know, from the time he's been in high school until now without a certain level of discipline that he has and level of focus that he has in the gym. You know, he was up before everybody and not only was he up, but he was working really hard, you know, on, on a few things. And the more he asked questions, the more he knew what he should work on. And he focused on those things. He didn't waste time in the gym. Um, and that part was something that we knew was happening. And then when we got to competing, we were like, wow, this kid's a real deal. You know, he, he brought it every day. I mean, he, he would be on defense and we would be talking about help side defense, which is something that, you know, the transition is like, can you play help side defense? Mm -hmm. can you, you have vision of the ball. Can you react to know where your man is? Can you be in your help spots on time and make a difference on defense? And he used to say, coach, I don't understand why, you know, early on in his, in his freshman year, coach, I don't understand why I have to play so much help. Can't they just guard their man and stand in front of their man? Like I can't, you know, why can't they just do that? You're asking me to help so much. Why don't you ask them to guard the ball better? And like, that was just his mentality. Like I'm going to guard my guy. Right. You know, my guy's not going to score. I'm going to finish possession. So put me on whoever. Um, so it was fun to see his growth. You know, I think early on he established himself and he didn't even start, you know, his, his first game. Um, it took it took a couple games for him to get into the starting lineup, but it wasn't like he got beat out necessarily. You know, coach just made a decision to play the older guys. Um, but it was undeniable, you know, the, the, the playing time that he deserved and the opportunity that he deserved and he continued to work. Um, and, and that's why he ended up starting very early his freshman year and, you know, never – never got out of the starting lineup, you know, entirely after that. He was fun to be in practice with because you knew he was going to compete and try and win every possession. Um, he was fun to spend time out, outside of, of practice and 
outside of team activity because he was very relaxed and he was funny. Um, but in terms of basketball, man, it was he was somebody you're excited to play with because of his competitive nature, you know, because that you knew he was thinking about basketball that much outside of the time he spent with the team and actually spending more time personally to grow his game, um, to be able to make that open jump shot, to be able to handle the ball under pressure, um, to be able to finish in traffic. You know, he worked on, he didn't work on any BS, you know, and he always had that level of confidence. And I think that confidence came from his work. So his, his work ethic really changed the way that you guys, and, and you'll make it to Division One level, there are very, very few guys who don't work hard at that level. So I, I can assume that most of those guys are hard workers and he changed the way that you guys viewed hard work. Um, and he lived in the gym. I mean, so if you're a great defender, no one can score on you and you live in the gym and work on your game. I mean, well, you know, it turns out you're going to end up being a pretty good player. Um, I heard, a, I heard that he would bring, he bought like a strobe light and he would bring the strobe light into the gym because when it was like, I don't know, late at night, the lights wouldn't turn on and he'd have that strobe light. And he and he would uh, shoot with with that single light on. Was that? Did you ever hear about that, or is that something that was true? Yeah, it was. It was his. It was his light from his bedroom. <laughs> so yeah, I mean the lights weren't always on, and uh, it used to be called uh, Cox Arena. They changed it to Viejas, um, and they would turn the lights off. You know, a certain time after practice there, and he would just bring his own light, turn it on, and shoot. You know, and, and it was the same in um, it was the same in the auxiliary gym. You know, it was like they, we didn't always have the key. The light might be on, it might be off. We didn't always have the key to turn it on or off. So mm-hmm. he would make sure to bring his own just in case. You know, he was preparation. <laughs> he was prepared for to do whatever he had to do to get in that gym and spend that extra time. Um, to kind of go back to what you said about changing the culture of working out, um, there was a guy, there's a kid named Jamal Franklin, mm-hmm. um, Kawhi's sophomore year. Um, Jamal was a freshman and early on in, in practice, you know, coach was like, we don't know if Jamal's really going to play. He wasn't sure. And he gave Jamal the opportunity to redshirt. And Jamal was like, nope, absolutely not. I don't want to redshirt. I want to compete mm-hmm. and see if I can play. Didn't play a lot early on, you know, worked his way into the lineup later in the season, ended up being really, really good. Um, and he was close to Kawhi. You know, he was, he was, he watched how he worked. You know, he paid attention to how he worked. And when Kawhi left, you know, Jamal was a guy who you said, wow, he came in and had some really big moments. You know, he made a lot of shots down the stretch for us when he came in off the bench in the playoffs, you know, in the postseason, um, played with a lot of intensity, about six, five, six, four, six, five, really long arms and kind of a tweener. You didn't really know his position. You're like, is he a three? Is he a four? Is he a two? Because he could do a lot of different things. Um, but Jamal probably made one of the biggest jumps over the summer I've ever seen anybody make, you know, after Kawhi got drafted, he was like, well, that's the position I want. That's the role I want. Mm-hmm. And he worked his tail off. He was, he was two a days. He was lifting. He was running more to try and be in shape. He was changing his shot. You know, he took it from behind his head to, to, to a 90 degree angle and shot it up and turned himself into a high level scorer with a tighter handle who could do a lot. Um, and then had his coming out party really against UCLA that year um, when they had a uh, slow-mo Kyle Anderson and that group that they had with Shabazz. Um, and he just, I mean, you know, we beat those guys and, and he was, <laughs> you know, he was really good. 
Uh, oh, I'm sorry. That was that was actually the, the next year after that. He got even better. I was, that was my senior year is what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, my senior year, you know, we come out and play Baylor, our first game on the road, and that we got we got whooped pretty good. Um, and they weren't sure how good we were going to be because when Kawhi left, you know, it was like a big senior class that came with it. You know, it was like guys that I came in with that when I when I got hurt my freshman year, um, I got a medical, you know, so that was my original class. And they were like, yeah, we'll see if you guys are good. You know, our trainer at the time was hilarious. He was like, yeah, man, we'll be lucky for good this year coming up. And I can remember that first Baylor game and, and us getting handled. And um, but our group kind of looking at each other like, nah, we're better than this. We, we'll, we'll be good. Um, and ended up having a great year. Ended up winning the league, you know, beating Arizona at Arizona. Um, because Jamal just continued to to step up and become our premier guy. He ended up getting MVP of the league, you know, my senior year. And, you know, that just catapulted him even more, you know, that next summer to work hard and, and really believe in it. And I truly think that, and I know that he saw Kawhi's work and saw what it did for his game. Um, and then saw what it did, you know, to help improve his game and give him confidence, but also enhance his skill set. So, um, you know, Jamal's one of the guys that I personally have always enjoyed talking with, enjoyed being around because of how hard he works. And, and he understood what professionalism was at a young age, too. So, you know, he got drafted by the Grizzlies, but, but ended up not sticking, but again, making a lot of money overseas. So, mm-hmm. um, you, uh, you talked about getting into the postseason. Uh, what's that like for those who, you know, who never will never be in part of March Madness and, uh, and never coached or played at that level. What's it like, you know, playing in March Madness and advancing and going as far as I think you guys went to the Sweet 16 one year? What's that experience? What's that experience like? You know, it's it's wonderful. You know, it's you you, you think about that and you you want to work toward that. Um, you know, you don't really fully understand how hard it is until I think after your freshman year. Um, like you might want, you might think it's pretty easy in high school if you're recruited high. You know, I, I'm just going to go and get recruited to a team that should be in a tournament. You know, mm-hmm. because I'm that good. Because everybody tells me I'm that good. But getting in the tournament is earned. You know, ninety nine percent of the time, it's it's it truly is earned. And we knew that when we, when my freshman class came in together, and the competition wasn't you know, we didn't feel like we were discouraged by the competition level or the speed of the game after maybe a month, you know, it was like, Oh no, we're right here. And I think that spoke volumes to our staff. And then I think they did a wonderful job piecing everything together and adding some pieces like Kawhi and and stuff like that. Um, And it just took off from there. You know, I thought the culture was good and it was right by my sophomore year. So it allowed us to make the NIT. Um, and then, you, you know, you continue that progress knowing you have everybody coming back. What, what one or two more pieces can you add um, led to a tournament appearance? And then, you know, after that, you know, we lost in the first round, that first NCAA tournament appearance of my, my, my stint there. And the second year was the year we won those two games, beating Northern Arizona and Temple, and then losing, a, uh, or losing to UConn ultimately, who had Kimba when they, when they made that magical run. But, but working towards it, knowing that you made the NIT – Feeling like, man, if we had if we didn't drop this game here and that game there, you know, we lose a two possession game here, a three possession game there, you know, that's we're, we're sitting here on Selection Sunday feeling a lot different. So we had a lot of moments in practice where it was like, well, do we want this win? We know this is the game. These are the games that you have to win. 
if you want to, if you want a, an automatic bid, or if you want to, you know, you want to steal a bid, if you don't win the tournament, you have to win these games. Everybody's talking about how good we want to be in March. You know, it's like, we need to be good now. We're good enough to beat this team now. Let's beat them now. So it's, it's about the preparation. It's about the mentality of the group. It's, it's about culture. A lot of the time, obviously you have to have talent, but the culture and the, the maturity for the young men to understand how important each day of preparation is and each game is. Um, you battled a lot of injuries uh, during your career. Um, talk about how you persevered through that and how dealing with that adversity has made you a better coach now. You know, I was fortunate to have a, a, a caring staff and I was fortunate that I liked school. Um, you know, I, it was, it was frustrating, you know, dealing with injury in high school was frustrating. Worrying about recruitment was frustrating. You know, dealing with injury in college was a, was a different level of frustration, especially after you come back and you start as a freshman. So it's like, you confirm that you can do it. You can confirm that you belong, you know, by, by having that opportunity as a freshman and earning it, especially earning it after taking a year off, you know, and, and having to get your knee right. So you feel like you're starting the race behind, you're starting the race late every time you, you, you kind of get knocked down. Um, but really good leadership all around. I thought I had some good friends on the team, um, guys that I'm still friends with to this day. And, and that's what happens. You know, you get with guys and, and got, you know, guys didn't transfer as much back then too. So it wasn't like, I'm not playing this year. I'm out. It was like, Hey Tim, you got this. We know who you are. We know who you can be. Um, you know, stay focused, man. Sorry. You're hurt type of deal. Sorry. You're injured type of deal. Um, but then I was, I was lucky to have fish and I was lucky to have our staff because when I did come back, they, they knew that if I just did certain things drill wise and walkthrough wise, I didn't always have to practice. Mm. You know, I had microfractor surgery, which is what Amari Stoudemire had, but I had it twice. So it's like, you have to kind of relearn how to walk again and run again and sit down in a stance and move. Um, so I always reflect back to my fundamental days at Clovis West because I was really fundamentally sound. I could jump stop and pivot both ways and pass with both hands. Um, and I played at a pretty slow pace and it slowed me down even more. So it kind of made me the prototypical just undersized five at that point. Cause I wasn't quite jumping the same, but I was strong enough to use my leverage. Um, but, but going through that mentally was pretty challenging for me. You know, it's, ups and downs that you deal with in life and you, and you want to be involved with something you want to feel included. Um, but I thought I had a good support system. I thought my family was great. I thought my friends and my, and my coaching staff was great. Um, had an unbelievable trainer and Tom Abdenauer, especially my, my senior year hall of fame trainer with the NBA. Um, and I don't think I would have made it through my, my last year if it weren't for him. Um, he's kind of a guru of sorts and, you know, he's a pleasure to be around. I still, contact him and then he contacts me every now and then as well just to check in and say hi but but just good staff good people all around me that try to keep things as positive as, as they could you know and, and can and confirm that they believed in me you know and to have that senior year you know come full circle and win a championship and you know look down at my knee like man we're done buddy like we did we made it we finished it I didn't know we would finish so um you know just just to kind of feel that at the end but knowing kind of what I went through um, to get there, I thought was was special as well. Uh, injuries are inevitable in all sports. Um, certainly, two micro fracture knee surgeries. Uh, I mean, that might be one in a million. You may be one of a handful of people who've had to deal with that. But now you're on the other side of it as a coach, 
and players will get hurt uh, from time to time. What do you use, what you learned going through those experiences that help you now as a coach? Um, you know, everybody's different and you have to tread lightly with what you say and the tone that you, you have about injuries or being hurt, you know? So you really just want to be as caring as you can and let the professionals, you know, evaluate and do what they do and, and tell you what they think and what they believe. Um, you know, allow the student athlete to seek a second opinion if they want, you know, and not feel some type of way about it. Um, but ultimately you just want to be hopeful that no one's seriously hurt or injured. You know, it, obviously in the year you tone things down practice wise and you teach and you go over scouting reports and you shoot, um, you know, early on when you're competing, you have to gauge, you know, the, the, the level of competition. If you got a lot of new guys, you have to evaluate what you have um, within the system that you're, you're running. And, you know, sometimes teams compete more than others when they have new, new bodies. You know, some some coaches just believe in competition, but for short stints of time and then shooting and, and skill work. And But there's a fine balance, you know, of trying to push a guy, trying to give him confidence. You know, you're hurt, not injured. You'll be okay. You know, game day, you're hurt, not injured. Would you, can you play? You know, and then, hey, this guy, it's been a couple of days now. Like, is he communicating everything he needs to communicate? Is he going to his treatment on time? Um, is he telling the truth? And... You know, we have to believe that he is, but let's make sure we circle the wagons on everything that he needs to be doing so that ultimately he's good, you know, because we can't, you know, you, you can't say something and then and then regret it later, you know, in terms of someone's future. And, yeah. and that's the type of deal that you want to be as encouraging as you can be, as loving as you can be, especially when you know it's serious. Um, but, you know, there's a fine balance. There's a fine balance of it. So uh, you and your knees made it through made it through you you finished as a player you won the championship uh you had a great career played in over 100 games um now you decide to become a coach uh and, and continue to work with your alma mater explain how that how that came about and what you learned those first what your responsibilities were and what you learned those first few years you know I've always believed that uh my knee was a blessing in disguise <laughs> mm -hmm. because I graduated in four years and, you know, I would have been one of those grad transfer market guys. Right. Mm -hmm. But I graduated in four years. So my last year, you know, was grad school. You know, I was a, I was a fifth year senior in grad school. And so when I finished playing, I had one more year of grad school. Um, and coach fish sat me down and he said, Hey, what do you want to do? You know, you know, we would love to, to fund your grad school and, 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 and help you finish. You know, we believe in you. Um, and I said, that's what I'd like to do. You know, I'd like to finish this. I'd be the first person in my, in my family to, to get a master's degree. And, um, you know, I, I loved the program that I was in. Um, and so I, I decided to stay one more year and, and that's what, you know, that's what put me on the other side of the, of the bench. You know, it, it put me in, on a, in a different view. It put me in those meetings. Um, you know, it put me in the recruiting conversations, the development conversations, the watching film, you know, and watching film with the staff and seeing how team evaluations went, you know, and, and, and see how decisions were made. And it made me feel like I hadn't watched enough film <laughs> nearly enough as a player. Uh, so, you know, having that experience and getting to know the staff even better and in a different light, um, you know, that was really inspiring to me. And I just you know, I, I fell in love with it in a different way. Um, you know, it wasn't, 
you know, I, I felt like I could still get out there and go, but it wasn't, you know, with my knee and kind of with what the direction I was heading, you know, I wasn't all the way sure what I wanted to do, even, even that last year in grad school, but I knew that I loved basketball. Um, and if there was an opportunity in basketball, you know, to be on that side that I would love to take it. And, you know, I was very fortunate when I finished um, all those courses and when, when the class was done, you know, I started working on the other side of campus for career services. I was a career counselor telling people, you know, or trying to give direction on, you know, who they want to become and how to do it and how to develop their resume and things like that. Um, and literally four months after that, you know, an opportunity comes open on staff to be the player development video coordinator. And I, and I, and I took it, you know, and it was, I was missing basketball so much during those four months. <laughs> I was like, man, this is what life is like without it. I wonder what they're doing. I wonder how the guys are. You know, I wonder how coaches, I wonder what practice or workouts are like during the summer. Um, and so I was already having the itch, you know, just the summer removed. And so to be able to be back on that side and, and, and kind of fulfill that, that thing that I was missing, that feeling that I was missing was such a blessing. And then for it to be with the set staff that I played for, um, you know, that's, that's one of those experiences that's invaluable because, you're growing, you're learning, um, and it's in an environment of love and tough love at the same time. Um, you know, Dave Velasquez really helped me because he transitioned from the video coordinator position to an assistant position, um, and he pushed me pretty hard. You know, he was because they were hard on him. It was hard for him to to grow and fine tune and perfect that role. Um, and he had such a good workflow, and he did such a good job. You know, I was trying to to mirror that, even though the technology was tra- changing and they were moving from compact discs to a lot of digital stuff so was, I had to learn a lot of new stuff um on the fly but but man it was all worth it because it helped you learn the game of basketball a little bit better um learned how guys worked a little bit better because you're providing the film in the ways that they prefer it um you know and then obviously to work for guys like Steve Fisher Brian Dutcher Justin Hudson um who had already been in the business and and, and were developing you know legacies it was like these are the guys you want to learn from. So you became a player development coach. Um, I think our, a lot of the coaches who are listening would like to hear your thoughts on player development and how you develop players individually, how that fits into the style of the of play that the head coach wants and what you look for when you're working out guys, how did you develop guys at that high level? You know, the player development title is, is so many things. Um, I think it's more of a respectful title because <laughs> most of the, but most of what I did was video work. So at first I was like, man, video coordinator, that doesn't sound like coach, you know, that doesn't sound like coach yeah. Shelton. Um, but boy, is it important. Um, I, I feel like there's, there's almost nothing more powerful than film, you know, recruiting the best player is probably the only thing that's more, more yeah. powerful than film. Um, so, you know, I, I increasingly realized and understood the value of what I was doing because you know, if you find the right two or three clips, you know, your kid can make a 10, 15% jump, you know, mentally that way on understanding how to actually play defense or play offense. It's like, you can put them in positions and tell them what to do. And then I'm telling you, once you show them themselves, you know, or once you show them someone else who's done it at a high level, um, they remember it, it registers for them different. And all of a sudden they know how to play defense and communicate defense and what, and what the positioning looks like and, and what, what kind of stance it should be and how to have your head on a swivel and how to do certain things and what a deflection looks like and what the first three steps in transition looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for, for, for coaches out there, for young guys out there who are, you know, working their way up and, and, and looking 
into being a coach, that position really helps to just teach you and groom you the game of basketball. And again, I, I'm still cutting film now, you know, as an assistant, I'm still, I mean, I just finished our defensive concept tape last week and, you know, it just never stops. So it's, it's a blessing to be able to know how to do that stuff and navigate it, but also continue to learn, you know, it's, it's very humbling to go back and watch your team play and try and implement the concepts and the, and the intensity and, and, and the, you know, the emphasis is that you put in the play um, and see how they execute it. You know, you can, stats are one thing, but the film doesn't lie. So um, I understood that piece and the development was really more mentally than his handles tighter. His, his jump shot looks better. It, it wasn't, man, you guys really did a good job developing and look at his body. He looks stronger and he's moving better. And wow, he's finishing with that left this year. He wasn't finishing with that left last year. It's more, wow, everybody's in transition talking and communicating. They're in the right spots. You know, wow, that was a really good angle on that ball screen. He gets it, you know, and he got out there quickly. His target hand, look at his target hand. Look how he held the seal. He used his leverage. Man, he's playing through his hips a little bit more. You know, he saw himself playing lower. He saw himself sitting down on that film. Now he's sitting down, moving his feet, using his retreat step and using his hover hand, you know, and, and they understand the concepts and the terminology, um, but it shows you know, in the way they're playing. Part of it's getting older, but that understanding and being able to have more aha moments because of the film, um, you know, really, really helps guys grow quickly. When you first started out as a coach, you were fresh off being a player. How was it with your relationships with guys that you had played with? And now you're, you're the coach or you're on you're the, the very least, you're part of the coaching staff and you're in the meetings and you're on the other side of it now. How did you continue with your relationships with those guys? You know, it it wasn't different. You know, I, it's not like I can change who I was, um, you know, and it wasn't like I was out there trying to be the ops or, or you know, be the, the police in terms of, hey, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this, X, Y, Z. You just have to be yourself and, and let guys be who they are as well. Um, but you're trying to be a voice, you know, for the for the head coach. You're trying to make sure that what, what you're saying and what you're putting emphasis on is in, is in line with the head coach because it's his program. And, you know, he has a vision for it that the more you talk, the more you listen, um, you should be able to understand that vision. And when you're spending time alone, um, you should be able to implement and give, give nuggets here and there that help guys believe in themselves and believe in that vision, you know? So that transition was pretty smooth for me. I could have real conversations with those guys. You know, I already knew what they were about, what they were doing at night. You know, I knew what character they had, but most, most of the staff did, you know, there's not much that we don't know or that, that they yeah. don't know. Um, so it was a really easy transition for me. Um, that group was a, a pleasure to coach. That first group that I got to, to be on the other side of the staff was, was a pleasure to coach. We, we went and won at Kansas that year. So you talk about an unbelievable experience and memory. Um, we went to the Sweet 16 um, in the NCAA tournament. Um, so, you know, quite, quite the, the experience for me my first official year. Um, and we had an All-American in Xavier Thames. So it's like, man, that, that, that part was special for me and, and memories that I won't forget, but preparing, like going from being a player, preparing to, to, to play an NCAA tournament to being the video player development, you know, coordinator was like the, the preparation is, is intense and focused and everybody's dialed in. It's just like a different level that was invaluable for me. You, know? you uh, now are back home at Fresno State. 
Talk about your roles and responsibilities as a division one assistant coach um, and what is expected of you maybe pre-quarantine because things are kind of now flipped upside down, but pre-quarantine, what are some, what what would be expected of you on a daily basis as an assistant division one men's coach? You know what? Not much changes in terms of the daily responsibility. Um, You know, the biggest thing obviously is recruiting, you know, as, as a young coach, you have to be able to, develop relationships, maintain relationships, um, you know, have a feel and, and an understanding for your region and your city and your area um, recruiting wise. So, you know, one of the bigger, bigger things for me right now is local recruiting, recruiting this Valley, um, you know, showing love to the, to the kids out here. Um, you know, obviously, and if somebody's a great fit, um, trying to get them to be a part of your program, it, it bodes well for the community here. They really love when their own are, are playing and competing and are good enough to help you win. So, you know, you have to make sure you pinpoint those kids and you have to make sure those kids know who you are and then they know who Fresno State is and, you know, know what the staff is about. Um, you know, that's one of the main things. And then, you know, sometimes the the tone of where you're recruiting might change. You know, the landscape of recruiting is changing. Everyone's trying to continue to get older. Um, you know, you can you can get older in a year and have – immediate success because guys know who they are um Mm -hmm. and then all you have to do is kind of tell them what what they need to do and they usually get it done a little more efficiently so you know with that piece it's like this is this transfer portal that literally you get online you see who's in the portal who's deciding to leave their school and you know you you fact check you background check what the relationships are there you know and, and if you can have an opportunity to really connect with the, that young person and, and the people that are helping to make that decision. Um, so, you know, that's a big part of it. And, you know, really what your head coach wants, you know, you try and engage that as best you can and, and through the conversation that you have. And it's just like coach fish. It's like, if you know, this is what he's looking for. If he was, if he knows this is what the team needs um, you want to go pinpoint that and, and that character and that talent level and try and get that person to come and commit, you know, you want to be able to, you know, show a series of footage or, or, or facts or stats, um, you know, or get or get your coach out in front of that young man um, to see him perform and, and, and show, you know, a certain level of support to that young man as well. Um, so it kind of varies. And, and, you know, Coach Hudson has done a great job. You know, he, he we just finished our second year. It's the second year as a, as a college head, a Division One head coach, college head coach. And, you know, he's grown so much. You know, he's got a lot of humility – to who he is. He's very humble. He doesn't, you know, he's a, he's a big self-evaluator. Um, but he still has that same motor from Bakersfield high for practice. You know, if you're at practice and you see him, he's not one of those head coaches that kind of sits back and, you know, looks at the, at the, at the schedule, at the itinerary for practice and kind of lets things fly by. And if he sees that it's good enough, he's good. He's, you know, he's on every, every possession he sees, you know, he doesn't, stop every possession but he sees he can he can recall back 30 40 50 minutes ago and tell you what what stance you're in which hand you had up left to right if you were pushing a guy to the baseline or not you know what kind what pass you made what the read that what it looked like you might have been thinking in terms of the read that you made so you know he's very engaged very hands-on um and that includes the recruiting piece you know because he's such a high level recruiter and that's what you know he built his name on um you know but really recruiting Kawhi, you know, to San Diego State and being the lead guy on that. Um, and then recruiting Jamal Franklin and, and being the lead guy on that. So, 
you know, he's, he's letting, letting that go a little bit and trying to encourage me and, and, and give me that direction and give me that confidence and give me pointers here and there to, to do that on my own. Um, but he balances a lot out in terms of communication with the staff, still trying to figure out what everybody's best at to let them have the freedom to do what they're best at and encourage them to, to obviously encourage, uh, encourage them to, to obviously implement the vision and try and get it right in terms of what he's thinking at the time or what he might be thinking in the future. A so. couple more questions. We'll let you go. Uh, professional development. What are some ways that you get better as a coach uh, that you expand your game and you work on your craft off the court? You know, um, one of the first experiences professional development wise I had was with the rising coaches group. Um, so, you know, went to a couple of their clinics in Vegas um, you know, followed up with some of those relationships. Um, you know, the best thing I can say is kind of everybody has their own. I don't think any, any two people really truly get into the business the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody is their own person. And then, and, you know, some people tell you to have a niche, like have something that you're really good at in terms of recruiting. So I can really recruit locally or I can really recruit international. I can really recruit transfers. I can really, you know, I can really develop bigs. I can really, coach defense, I can really help with, you know, certain details on offense. Um, but the more people you meet and the more people you network with, and it's like that information is, is valuable that you can get from those people. You know, they might teach you something you didn't even realize you, you needed to be taught um, just through conversation and experiences that other people have. And, you know, there are a lot of coaching trees out there. Um, you don't always know who's a part of what tree, but the more people you know, um, and, and the more they know about you, you know, and your quality of work gives you an opportunity to also stay in the business. So, you know, as simple as it sounds, you know, don't feel like going to a clinic is something that, you know, is something you don't need to do, or don't feel like making an extra phone call is something that you don't need to do. You know, you can blindly reach out and develop relationships with people and coaches, you know, and, and even if they know maybe what your intent is, or if they feel like that might be your intent. I think most coaches respect that, that resilience of people who want to be in the business, because if you can, if you can demonstrate a certain level of resilience, just trying to develop a relationship with somebody who already has a position, a title who's worked their way into, you know, being well-respected in the business. um, I think they'll see that level of resilience and be able to project Mm-hmm. for a potential opportunity. So it's like, man, that, that person is, this is the third, fourth time they've called me this month just to check in and say, hi, you know, I'm, I mean, one of these days they might ask for something, right. Mm-hmm. But I know the name, you know, and I know that they've called and it's just, there's something about being in the back of someone's mind, um, even for not needing anything, but just calling and checking in on that, that usually ends up being reciprocated in one way or another. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being, being resilient, and being consistent, you know, being open-minded in, in how you develop relationships, especially nowadays with, with all the Zoom meetings and, and opportunities to learn, you know, from, from people from, you know, in the comfort of your own home or just being a part of email chains or um, just logging, logging in, tapping in with new people in different ways. Um, it's always going to continue to change. Uh, I think that stuff just goes a long way because relationships are, you know, they're an interesting thing and they move in different ways. You don't know if the manager that, was on your team that, that 
that was the manager at San Diego State is going to be a head coach in three or four years all of a sudden. You know, you just don't know who people are going to be in two years, five years, ten years. Um, so be yourself, try and treat people right, and and continue to, to push forward and develop your relationships. What advice do you have for uh, coaches, uh, people trying to get into the business, people coaching this game, either they're just beginning or they've been doing it a long time. What's some advice you have for coaches? You know, once that, once that, that feeling, that passion, that, you know, once you get a confirmation or you feel like you get a confirmation of that's what you want to do, um, you know, pursue it to the best of your ability, you know, because where you land with that, you know, you have to be prepared to, to accept, you know, wherever you land with that. But usually when your intentions are, are pure and you want to go into coaching, you know, for whatever reason that may be, um, you know, you're going to grow and understand that the main thing is the young men that you're impacting. You know, you want to give them a championship experience in every way, you know, shape or form. And, you know, guys might get into it for money. My guys might get into it because that's all they know is basketball, you know. But ultimately, kind of once you get past yourself, you know, and hopefully it happens pretty quickly because you're like, wow, this is the how many how many days in a row or how many days this, this year did I spend with these young men? Mm-hmm. You realize it's all about them. You know, you, you like, I, again, I look back on, on the people that, that coached me who I still have relationships with. And it's like, thank you, man. Thank you guys so much. You know, and coach Fisher used to always say, you know, he would get a question about, you know, what kind of team are you going to have this year? What kind of young men do you have? And he was like, I'll let you know in 10 years, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I'll never forget that. And, you know, I look at myself as, as one of those people now, you know, 10 years later, it's like, I turned out okay. You know, uh, they were, they granted me an opportunity. I'm continuing to work, um, you know, continuing to grow who I am, you know, on and off the floor as a professional, as a person. Um, a lot of what all of them, you know, the love they showed me, the things that they tried to teach me, you know, for maybe the 5% that stuck, um, you know, I feel like I can take that 5% and try to apply it as best I can the right way um, to the young men that I'm, I, that I get the opportunity to be around you know, almost every single day. So, you know, it's a blessing, but getting into the business, you know, be prepared to have failures, be prepared to be challenged, be prepared to deal with people that are strictly going to just want something from you and, you know, be prepared to be who you are as best you can in those situations. Um, But to try and, you know, maintain those relationships as best you can, because you just don't know who's going to be what, where, why, why, and how. So, That's great advice. Uh, Tim, Coach Shelton, we will be rooting for you and the Fresno State Bulldogs uh, if and when we get our season resumed. Um, Starting your second year there, next year will be your third year there, and uh, we all keep a close eye on you guys. Tim, thank you very much for joining us today. I appreciate you having me. I really do. Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksinado at ymail.com. See you next time.